Hello once again and welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J, and welcome to this extra special episode. Hello, Josephine. I'm very pleased to be here in this extra special episode. Maybe we should explain why it's so special to the audience who can't see the specialness into which we are sitting. This is true. Dear listener, please imagine us, if you will, in our special regalia, being special and glowing in a very special way, as we announced that this episode was specifically recorded for Queer House Party Radio, which is an event that's happening on the 2nd of April. You can listen to it there if you would like, or you can listen to it here normally, as you would with us. And I say normally as in normal for a given value of normal, of course. So what you're about to hear is a specially recorded episode for Queer House Party, which is an event that Jay and I work for on a regular basis and is quite delightful as we discuss a very pertinent issue of the moment, which is why queer spaces are still important. So please enjoy. I was just going to say that's quite delightful as an, an elephant is quite heavy. We're using quite in the British sense there. Oh, right. Oh, we are. Yes. As in, yes. Oh, yes. You're quite queer. It's quite delightful. As when you describe Queer House Party as quite delightful, I thought it's best for those who do not come from the British vernacular to quickly offer an explanation of the use of the word quite. Basically, this is a fucking fabulous party of queerness where the music is queer, the sounds are queer, the people running it are queer. It is built around queer thoughts and politics and the queerness just seeps out of it. An apt description. So enjoy today's podcast with that in mind. Hello and welcome to a special episode of It Is Complicated, the podcast where every single question is answered with It Is Complicated. We're doing this podcast today for the Queer House Party radio extravaganza. And yes, I just realized I have no idea how to introduce ourselves when we're not doing our regular podcast. Jay, help me. It's so unlike you to fall apart doing the introductions. <laughs> they don't know that. <laughs> ah, they don't know. Okay. So Josephine is a true professional and can always manage to do our introduction cleanly. So we both work at Queer House Party and do amazing things with them. So they've asked us to come and be on a radio show. We are also doing podcasts in our spare time or our time away from our day jobs. And we do this thing called It Is Complicated because the answer to every question when you're queer like us is, well, it's complicated, including the title of our podcast, which is It Is Complicated. And that's pretty much why we're talking today. So hello, Josephine. How are you today? <laughs> I, I am the um, hmm, very good question. You haven't asked me that recently. And I appreciate that because my answer is always some sort of guttural noise that comes from deep within that tries to reach at the sort of bizarre combination of exhaustion and exasperation at the culture that we currently live in and also the hope that I have for all things queer so that that's how I'm doing today like I am all days I am realizing that today is the one-year anniversary of lockdown and well that might sound a gloomy thing to talk about on a radio show actually the lockdown and the queer response to it is what queer house party has always been 
But before we dive into something as deep as that, maybe we should introduce ourselves so people have a clue of who we are and what we do at Queer House Party, because neither of us are kind of front of house people. That's true. You don't necessarily normally keep an eye on us. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. J. I use they as a pronoun. I got to give myself the job title Harbinger of Change because I work at a software consultancy called ThoughtWorks that allows me to do so. I also got to give myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender clear because I was lucky enough to be born in a country that also allows me to do so. I'm a troublemaker, as if the two previous sentences didn't give that away, and a hashtag queer nuisance. And also, I'm a TEDx speaker. I love it. I can now say you can now see on my TED Talk. What do I do for Queer House Party? I am, weirdly enough, the tech person. I am the person who keeps an eye on all of the feed, make sure that everything's going out smoothly, and I moderate all of the chat. I am your first line of defense when the Nazis come. Literally, they have come, and I managed to be kicking them out within eight seconds. I know where they're likely to attack. I know how to get rid of them really quickly, and I know how to keep everyone as safe as possible from, well, people who are less than nice on the internet. And I don't often have my camera on, so people don't even know about me at Queer House Party. I'm just this occasionally random voice that will step in when the music stops going so would somebody like to play a playlist while we get the music back on or would somebody like me to play a playlist while we get the music back on and if you end up at that stage you know things have gone dreadfully wrong <laughs> so what you're saying jay is you're a superhero of some sort you're in the shadows hidden your identity shrouded and you are the first line of defense against the evil people who would come in and wreck things but no one knows because you you hide behind and work <laughs> to the benefit of the people oh. that's a, such a sweet image of me uh dear listener dr j is literally the reason that you can see and hear queer house party in your wherever you're watching it really because they're the one who sets up the tech and keeps it running and very impressive set of skills that i don't have i am a scholar activist and artist i used to like to make spectacles myself upon the stage I haven't done that in a while, but now I like to make a spectacle of myself by drawing queer people and posting those pictures on the internet. I also am a lecturer at the University of Uppsala teaching on game design and desperately trying to do my PhD basically in the same area, looking at video games and queer people and how queer video games are. I like to think of myself as a queer with a purpose and, you know, generally to think of myself as a femme of international mystery. I also in my alter ego for Queer House Party, provide the closed captions for the events, which means that if for any reason you need text assistance, you can read them by pressing the closed caption button during your Queer House Party experience. And that's me tapping away very quickly on this keyboard that Dr. J helped me afford, which is very cool. Oh, and it's rainbow colored, by the way. Literally, it has LED lights that flash rainbow colors at me constantly and i love it it is perhaps one of my favorite possessions so while you're all watching um people be fabulous drag queens and performing this is the sound that's in my room by the way <laughs> a little bit of behind the scenes information there for you and together jay and i do this podcast as they pointed out and we were asked by the lovely queer house party team to provide something special for the 
radio production that's happening now that you're listening to. And so Jay and I thought we'd talk about something that was a bit related to Queer House Party and queer venues and spaces that we've frequented on occasion now and again. I think that's how we met Jay. <laughs> so yes, I can tell people exactly how we met. But I think the big question is, why do we still need queer spaces? Why do we need spaces that are specifically for queers? Because one of the arguments that always comes up is, but it's now legal. You can just go to a straight bar. You can just go to any bar. So why do you need a special space? And I think it's interesting to look at why those spaces are still needed and why something like Queer House Party is still needed. Why I was just watching the documentary that was done about Glitterbox and they really, really talk about why queer spaces are still needed as performers and as DJs. And I think it's really important to talk, even as Josephine and I have been producers, we've worked together on productions, we've performed together. So I think it's important to understand why we think there still needs to be queer spaces and why we put energy in Queer House Party providing an online queer space. And I think that's a really important question because... Like Jay says, when did we meet? What year did we meet, Jay? 2005. It was at Egg, which was a big three, four floor party space in North London. It was my first actual night out at a party space in London, having arrived over from New Zealand. And there were more people in one room of this party space than I had ever seen in a party room in New Zealand. And Josephine was performing on the top floor with a group called Whatever World. And you did a piece called How to Be a Femme Sex Fixin. And I just recall that the music was fun. The people were nice and spoke to me and didn't treat me like I was a weirdo. There was just a huge overwhelm. And I remember seeing Josephine and going, I wish I was cool enough to know this person, but I don't think I ever will be. I remember seeing Josephine sitting on the stairs with... The performers later and I think I came up and said something very breathlessly like oh my god you're amazing bye and ran off I'm not even sure if Josephine even remembers seeing me at that point so unfortunately I don't necessarily remember that night so well for a lot of reasons however yes that's why if I forget having met you quickly then that's probably the oh, reason good grief I was some kind of weird nervous squeaky voiced New Zealander in t-shirt and shorts bouncing up being very shy because I literally didn't know anybody and very frightened because I was just a pool of anxiety so then we met properly about two or three months later at Neil Gaiman reading how to talk to girls at parties and then we walked up to a queer club and I think we spent most of the walk up to the club talking to each other and then ended up chatting more and more and more uh, when we got to the club. Well, my question, I guess, is then why did you go to a queer club? What was it about going to a queer club or a queer bar specifically? Because you asked the question, you know, mm -hmm. why are these places necessary? And I think you have an answer. So I'm curious as to why do you think they're necessary, I guess? Because... I'm in a world where I'm different to everyone else. Like at work, my relationships are different. The way that I think is different. The way that I talk about my gender is different. And 
one of the things I think that we go to those spaces is to find people like ourselves and not just find people like ourselves, but to also see ourselves reflected in the music and the performers and in the other people who are around there. That's seeing your experience or an experience that you can identify with validated and celebrated and coming back to you really gives you that sense of being able to belong in a way that you don't feel because you're non-normative in whatever sense. I think what you're describing for me personally is the sense of being in the majority for once. The notion that our experience in every other arena of our life is the minority, the marginalized. When you're in a queer space, a genuinely queer space, not unfortunately had the experiences of places they call themselves queer and accepting spaces when they're not however i've had the good fortune to be in several genuinely queer and open spaces and in those spaces and on those occasions i felt that my experience was the majority experience for once how rare that is to be considered the norm in a position such as that because as jay said our experience is not the normative. So to go into a space where the majority of the people might actually be much like yourself or have similar experiences, where if you spoke to a random person in that room, they would understand most of the things that you've experienced based on being different in the culture that we exist in is absolutely astounding if you think about it in any other circumstance. As a performer, which I was at the time, my first performances outside of a university or a class was at a queer space. And I performed, my first performance at a queer space was an expression of my experience as a queer trans person. And it was received tremendously well because it was in front of an audience of other queer trans people. And it altered my career, my life. And Ever since then, being a performer in a queer space, being a attendee in a queer space, being someone who helps produce queer spaces, I've been profoundly aware of how important they are to allow us to have a moment of rest when we can be ourselves without constantly feeling guarded. I am profoundly aware of how important it is to feel like you are not alone and being able to be in a space of people who are similar to yourself, who have similar experiences, who can relate, who can recognize what you're saying. Whether you're an audience member or like in my case, when I was on the stage, I would get to say things publicly on a stage in front of a lot of people and have people understand what I was saying. So telling jokes, making absurdist commentaries on the deeply disturbing society that we lived in, I could do that on a stage and have a large group of people listen and understand because my way of dealing with the shocking abuse of a society that is completely intolerant to difference is to make fun of it is to call out its absurdities but i need an audience that recognizes that otherwise <laughs> unfortunately you can do it don't get me wrong you can tell jokes like that to a non-queer audience you just have to do it differently and you certainly can't presume that they're going to be aware of some of the things that you're going to talk about so being in a queer space, performing in a queer space, speaking with like-minded people in a queer space is 
critical or has been critical to my well-being, to my being here at all in this capacity, I think. It's not an exaggeration to say that. Yeah, I think it's the same for me. It, I've got a couple of talks that I've given and I've given them in straight spaces and corporate workspaces. And I've given a similar talk in a much more queer orientated space. So I give a talk called Stop Kicking Them in the Shins. And it's funny and it goes down okay in a corporate environment. But in a queer environment, people really start to laugh about it because it's kind of making that commentary and people get the funny little in-jokes and they get the funny little references and they get the experience without me having to explain in great depth what it is to say your pronoun without me having to explain in great depth what it means not to be challenged which bathroom you use whereas straight people are like but why would anyone do that and they come up playing all the but I wouldn't do that so why would anyone do that to you because I see you as this and I'm like yes but what if I use that bathroom it's that commonality of experience it's why we can stand in the smoking spaces of queer because I always hang out in the smoking spaces and I don't smoke but it's always the place to talk to people and I hang out in those spaces and talk to people and you'll be chatting to somebody about trying to change their name or the shitty thing that's happened at work with them today or celebrating the fact that they've decided what their pronoun will be and just celebrating each other and nobody you don't even meet these people sometimes beyond those three 20 minute interactions that you have and it's flirtatious and it's lovely and it's full of love and respect and care for each other it's just love and care and respect for a fellow queer and it might go further or it might not you might get their number you might not you may bump into each other in six months time again you may not and it's about being happy with those transient, fun, sharing moments that are all about what it's like to be different in this world that doesn't really make space for that difference. Well, I mean, I think in these spaces, the normative rules don't apply, which is the point that we don't want the normative rules to apply here. So we make up our own rules. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that what we're talking about is something of the idyllic version of queer spaces that not all queer spaces are like this so obviously with that caveat I have however had idyllic queer spaces happen now they tend to be transient because they are by definition something that happens at particular times regularly hopefully and that's why we need them to carry on happening they need to keep happening because a queer space isn't a building it isn't a physical environment it's a space and time a combination of the two that needs to keep happening because I'm old enough now to have had those experiences and I can rely on them to some degree to know that things can be different. I still need those spaces. But for people who've never had those experiences, they definitely need those spaces in a way that I needed them at the time when I hadn't had those experiences. Whether the experience is a good or bad one that we've had in the world, we need a place where we can share that. Some of the most profoundly touching moments of my life have been sharing grief or upset or tragedy in queer spaces where people understand what those things mean to us when the rest of the world might ignore it or even be genuinely hostile to it. Going to a queer space when someone has been harmed or passed on is a different experience than going to a normative space. The rules 
don't apply there in the same way. And it's important to have those spaces. The other reason is, as a performer, I know our experiences are often ignored in wider society, which means that our histories are not written down in the same ways. So one of the ways in which we've shared our stories is by telling stories, like all people tend to do. And our histories, our social histories, our cultural histories, our queer cultural experiences, they're often told in these weird little spaces in moments of interaction or performances. We have oral histories. I mean, genuinely, we have oral histories. The university I used to attend in London, the LSE, has a, a library of oral histories on queer experience. And there's a reason for that, because they weren't written down, they weren't recorded. They were talked about, they were spoken about, they were performed. That happens in these spaces because they were the only spaces that we had. Now we have more spaces now. There is more acceptance in general. This is great. I also do a lot of my work outside of queer spaces to try and encourage people to include queer people in them. But it doesn't mean that I don't every now and again just want to stop, exhale, <laughs> walk into a queer space and go, hi, everybody. Let me just talk about all the little weird shit that happened to me today that you'll understand in a heartbeat that it would take hours for me to explain to someone else. And let me get on that stage and tell you it in a funny way so we all can have a laugh at something really awful and go home knowing that we get to do it next week or next month. That's why Queer House Party is really important to me. It's why when I was invited to come to the first one, I knew I wanted to be involved with it because it was so important to have a space like this especially when we physically can't go to other spaces. Now, I know even before COVID, queer spaces in London and around the world have been shutting. There's been a bit of a trend of venues shutting. Venue prices have skyrocketed. No one has the finances ready to go out. There is less ability for these spaces to stay open, but they're so important. And when they were literally shut down, on mass, it was even more important to have something that we could do online where we could see each other, literally see each other, even if we couldn't interact physically, hugs and dancing and kissing and loving. We get to see each other through our screens. You get to hear our history and our music. I love the Queer House Party. Now, I get to say this because I came in late, dear listener. I'm not part of this crew going, hey, aren't we great? I'm part of this crew going, hey, this crew that I got to join is so great. Come join the club. Come be a member of the party because I joined because it was awesome. And it is. And one of the things that Queer House Party was doing before I joined was they had community news and they had performers who were super duper queer and telling super duper queer stories and beautiful, accepting and open environment. That, by the way, is free to attend, which is so important. Now, don't get me wrong, we also do it for free. We need donations, we need you to tip if you can, but it's open and accessible and it's critical. It's, it's life-saving to do these kinds of things. I spent the first queer house party sitting in my dressing gown on a couch, trying to figure out how some of the wider pieces of Zoom worked and spending a lot of time figuring out how to do things. And by about the second or third one, I 
started to have the tech a lot more sorted and we could figure out more and different things. And we've had to solve issues like how do you have a BSL interpreter on screen and ensure that everyone can see the BSL interpreter and the performance? How do you get audio descriptions to work? All of these things. I've done it. I've figured it out. I've sorted it out and I've found a way forward. And you might say, why have you been doing this for a year? Why do you keep doing this? Because you're just sitting there watching all of this tech and doing all of this stuff. And it's like, because I get those moments of making somebody the spotlit person and you see the look on their face when they realize that they're the spotlit person and they light up. And it's literally like saying to somebody, you're beautiful and you matter. And they see that they matter. People see that they matter, that they belong, that they're seen. And it's that being seen, it's that being seen by your peers, it's that feeling seen for who you are and your queerness is so beautiful to see that run across people's faces. And that, to me, every time that happens, my heart sings. And it's just those moments that make me come back over and over and over again and want to do this and want to ensure that this keeps going because it is those moments watching somebody dancing in their living room or dancing with their headphones on because they can't tell their family what they're up to. They can't talk about what they're up to. They're not out to their family and friends. And yet they're able to put on some glitter, dress up, dance in their living room or dance in their bedroom and be seen as this gorgeous, queer, beautiful creature who exists. And that to me is that gorgeous beauty which is the same thing you see when you're out in the world and you go up to somebody in a club and you say I really like what you're wearing tonight or I really love your hair or I love your makeup because they're being seen for the beautiful queer person that they are by somebody who's well, a bit of a dorky queer because those things exist and I epitomize the look yeah this is also one of the reasons I hope Queer House Party will be able to continue online even if it enters into a physical space. Because some of the things that we've been able to experience online to create spaces for those people who couldn't access physical venue for all sorts of reasons or wouldn't be able to travel. I'm having this conversation with you, dear listener, from Stockholm in Sweden. I could do my job for a Queer House Party from this country whilst they are in England. Now, not even all of the crew are in London and we're able to no. do this collectively in a way that I couldn't interact with that community if it was a physical venue and a physical space. It's an online space. This is really critical and I hope it carries on. And I encourage my dear fellow Queer House Partians to carry on doing this online. And I know that's the intention, so I don't think it's too much of a hard sell, but this is how important I think these spaces are. This is how important I think it is for us to hold space that is queer, that is open, that is welcoming and accessible. I don't actually think it's that complicated then. And that's one of the interesting things that I found with Queer House Party is their support of a wider queer community. It includes people who come from minority backgrounds. It includes accessibility as well. And one of the things is ensuring that people can get to it just from their phones. You don't need to pay a door charge. If you're in recovery or recovering, you don't need to worry about being exposed to alcohol because we get people to decamp their beverages. There's all of these things that's thought through to make the space as accessible for as many people as 
we possibly can think of. And if people come to us and say, the space is inaccessible because we start looking at how we can fulfill that and how we can make that happen, not go, oh, okay, soz, which seems to be the way of the physical world. The presumption is that people aren't included as a matter of fact, whereas the idea here is, and the reason why I, as busy as I am, will give up my Friday night to not only go to this place, but to help make it happen, is because I believe in trying to make the most accessible space to as many people as possible. I want it to be the opposite of what is normative. Yeah, well, our space is not accessible to you, so I'm sorry, you, you can't come. Or, yeah, we kind of believe in people being equal, but, um, well, we don't really want to do much about it. That's not good enough in the spaces that I want to be in. It's just not. So I like very much and think it is absolutely critical that we try our best to make these spaces as queer as possible. And by being queer, I mean accessible, by being sort of radically accessible and welcoming. And that's why they're so critical. And you've summed it up beautifully. Thank you. Well, dear listener, normally what Jay and I do at the end of these kinds of podcasts is we direct you to our Patreon. But today I think I'd like to just guide you towards Queer House Party. Go to one of these fabulous events and enjoy them and support them for what they are, because they're really important. And the other thing that we normally do at the end of the episode is that Jay and I discuss what we would be talking about next week. Now, unfortunately, Queer House Party Radio will not be continuing in the way that I would hope, which is that it should take over the world. But if we were to have another episode next week, normally Dr. Jay and I would discuss what topic that would be. And recently, pretty much every week, we've decided that that topic should be how Keanu Reeves is breathtaking. Jay, do you agree? Can you imagine Keanu Reeves dancing? to Queer House Party Beats. Yes, I can. Do you know why? Yes. Why? Because he's plastic. <laughs> he would be amazingly... And he just... would do it too because it's awesome like that. Absolutely. Oh, oh Keanu Reeves, come and be queer with us. Absolutely. You're Join us. Join us. We're recruiting. <laughs> Damn it, let the cat out of the bag again. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the day of radio fabulousness with Queer House Party. Come and see us at a Queer House Party soon. And thank you for listening to It Is Complicated. Check us out online at itiscomplicated.me. Is that right, Jane? Yeah, it is complicated, all one word, itiscomplicated.me. Or you can just search any podcast platform for It Is Complicated. All right. Come see us there. And we look forward to seeing you at Queer House Party soon. So, Jay, that was a lovely podcast we all just listened to, wasn't it? It was quite delightful. You're just overusing the word quite now, aren't you? I think I will. I think I'll be doing that <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs>